The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise be to you, Lord Christ. pray. Father, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so I pray, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a heart to follow you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Um, In this Lenten season, we've kicked off a series on the seven deadly sins or vices. And last week, Tim kicked the series off and he mentioned that sins differ from vices and that vices are habituated ways of being. What that really means is we sin in a variety of ways, but there are certain sins that we can't seem to let go of, or even more correctly, that won't seem to let go of us, like a vice grip. Perhaps you know what the tool is. If not, you know what the term means. It's appropriate. It won't seem to let go. And so last week, uh, Tim covered the vice of envy and how it is primarily a sin of one's own eyes sorrowing over another's good. This week, we're going to consider the vice of vainglory, which is similar in the fact that it includes the eyes, but it's not primarily about one's own eyes, but an obsession with the eyes of others, longing for the attention and the applause and the approval of others, being consumed with their eyes and how they perceive and praise you, and then adjusting your life to try and get everything that I just mentioned. Now, I I think you could argue that this is the primary vice of the 21st century with the proliferation of social media. There is an incessant longing to be liked, to be followed, to be quoted, to be shared, to be retweeted, I'm not on Twitter, so I can never say that correctly, to be retweeted. And parents, adults, if, if you are not as enamored with this and its power, I can promise you that the children in your midst are. They feel it. This unremitting, never-ceasing desire for others to recognize and to notice, to appreciate and to approve. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, there was a hashtag, no makeup. It's all one word. Um, And on Instagram, it has over 20 million posts. And so I thought, not being someone who's on Instagram, I'm gonna Google that. And when I did, what I was fascinated to find was that this hashtag, no makeup, said, um, "This this is the way to master looking like you have no makeup while having makeup on. 
several websites. You can see the conundrum because vainglory isn't just us putting our best selves forward and forsaking our true selves. It's also putting a true self forward, but only insofar as someone else notices it. And it leaves this vacancy of a true, real self. It leads a life of falsehood, of being fake. And so this morning, I really hope for us to take up two tasks, one unmasking vainglory and the other undoing vainglory. First, unmasking vainglory. Rebecca DeYoung, author, professor, um, she wrote a book on vainglory, and she also wrote a book on glittering vices. It's a fascinating read. You're going to hear her quoted, I'm certain, in the coming weeks in different ways. Uh, But she defined vainglory and its associated fears this way. Vainglory is the excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. The vainglorious person's primary fear lies in being unnoticed, unimportant, or unapproved. Now, in some ways, this might make vainglory sound a lot like pride. They're often confused and conflated, but they're not the same thing. In modern lists of the vices, you won't see vainglory at all. You'll simply see pride. But in the ancient and traditional ones, they saw pride as being foundational to all the vices, and that vainglory was a category unto itself. And I actually think that is accurate because they're not the same thing. Pride is about being superior to someone else. Vainglory is about being seen by someone else. Okay, pride is about being powerful. Vainglory is about being praised. The vainglorious person only wants power if it's going to be praiseworthy. And you can be powerful and not praiseworthy. And so at its essence, vainglory is above all things about perceived reality. It's not necessarily about reality itself. And so reputation and image become the king and the queen. Sometimes it's easier to visualize these things than to hear them defined. So I'm going to give you a few examples. Uh, Children, Sunday school's canceled. We're glad you're with us this morning. You're going to need to help your parents with a few of these. Okay, uh, think of Maui in the Disney movie Moana. Okay, Maui is obsessed with the approval and the applause of men. As a matter of fact, when he introduces himself, he says, I am Maui, shapeshifter, god of the wind and sea, hero of men. And Moana can't get it right, so he keeps correcting her until she gets it right. He has a tattoo on his arm that is just a sea of humanity. And throughout the movie, he is motivated or demotivated based on whether or not his tattoo is cheering or booing. He has a constant voice in the back of his head from other men telling him whether he's worth it or not. Or Professor Gilderoy Lockhart in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. He is most alive when he is most known And he has embellished wizarding exploits of every kind. All these adventures and things that he has done. Volumes of books sold. Interviews happening. Paraphernalia everywhere. And then at the end, you find out he's a total fake. And the saddest part is, he becomes completely dysfunctional. There is no person left behind his image. 
Or maybe Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Now, he exudes what we would think of as pride. Very self-assured, very self-confident. But that's not actually the case. He feeds on the people of the town singing his praises. In that famous scene in the pub, no one fights like Gaston. You know the, you know the song. Okay? The song actually starts with these words. He's talking to LeFou. Dismissed, rejected, publicly humiliated. Why, it's more than I can bear. And when he can't woo the eyes of Belle, he turns violently on the ugly beast that won the attention and approval that he deserves. The real him comes out. And it was birthed from a vainglorious heart. Or think of P.T. Barnum in The Greatest Showman. Has anyone seen that? movie slash musical. It's a great soundtrack. Okay, Barnum is obsessed with the limelight. He's trying to prove himself to be something when he actually came from very little or nothing. He was dismissed. He was forgotten. He was unnoticed. And so he spends his life trying to come into the limelight. And his insecurities, by the way, like ours, tend to be the perfect breeding ground for vainglory. Desperately wanting someone else to notice, to help to rescue. And so he does this, doesn't he? He creates this circus with misfits, with as much mania as he can possibly start, and he rises to fame only to have it all completely shattered and taken from him. And so the soundtrack actually tells the story. The first song is entitled The Greatest Show, depicting what his life was going to be about. But do you know what the final song is entitled? It's from now on. This is the the verse and the refrain. For years and years, I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and see you here, I remember who all this was for. From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. There's biblical examples too, aren't there? Think of Aaron. The cries of the people lead him to disregard faithfulness to God, to build a golden calf and allow them to scandalously worship before it. Think of Nebuchadnezzar, who built a gigantic golden statue resembling his glory and demanded that the people bow down and worship it. And if you didn't, you would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Think about Pilate, who despite his wife's advice, takes the life of Jesus Christ and weighs it on the balance of what the crowds want and what will please the eyes of Rome. Vainglory takes life. And sometimes it's the life of those that are most precious to us that gets sacrificed in its wake. It's not a light thing. Or consider our gospel reading from today. From Jesus' first recorded sermon, he warns that vainglory is as much or more of a problem within the religious context as it is outside of it. This is what he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. And then he goes on to give some real life examples of different kinds of piety, he says, giving to the needy, don't let, other knows, don't let others know that you're doing that. As a matter of fact, don't even let yourself know. Don't let your left hand and right hand know what they're doing. 
Give in secret, he says. And then I will reward you. Prayer. Don't be known for eloquence or wordiness. Don't be loquacious when you're praying. But go into the closet to pray. Pray in secret, he says. And then I will reward you. How about fasting? Don't wear your ashes every single day walking around mournfully, but fast in secret, he says, and I will reward you. There's, there's something about solitude that actually starts to push against vainglory because we're finally out of others' eyesight. And the sincerity of the heart and the action itself can actually come forward. Don't practice your righteousness before there's to be seen by them, Jesus says. Because of vainglory, our religious stuff can often be the facade and the private hidden stuff actually what is most real about us. So let me ask you in our religious context, this is a temptation of ours, isn't it? We know the pressure to fake it until we make it. We know the pressure to keep our brokenness concealed and to keep our righteousness revealed. This pulpit, its primary temptation is vainglory. So maybe I could use myself as an example. There's different closets in this house where I've hidden things that are not sightly, that are not yet how they should be. But when you're welcomed in as guests, what you see looks clean, beautiful, put together. And the question bears in mind is, which is the real me? Well, what you see is half the truth, but what you can't see is the other half. And so the real self is not the things that we necessarily reveal. They're also the things that we tend to conceal. And the religious environment tends to be a place where we keep our closets closed Vainglory certainly encourages us to keep up the facade. But that's not life-giving. It's life-taking. It's the whole of the house that makes the house. And so what happens whenever I or you do such a thing is that we end up sacrificing ourselves. The true self begins to die and a downward spiral will start to take place. And this is what it looks like. It's from our New Testament reading. It shows it. It says that we begin to suppress the truth, the truth about who we really are. And with that goes away the magnificence and the glory of God. He is forgotten almost altogether because we hide from him too even though we can't. And then we become futile in our thinking and our hearts become darkened. We become self-focused and selfish and self-deceived. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, Romans says. And then ultimately, we exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. That's where it ends, with vain glory. The human swallows up the divine, the source of our glory, the object of our worship. It changes from heaven to earth, from divine to human. And because we innately want to be seen and approved, that desire is outsourced, but not from there, from you. 
from each other, from man. The eyes of men and the approval and applause of others just takes over our lives. So it begs the question, what then is the cure? How can vainglory be undone? My response is ad fontes. It's a Latin phrase. It means return to the source. The cure to vainglory is not the absence of glory. It's the presence of true glory. It's the reversal of the spiral that we just discussed. The cure is actually God's glory alone. The cure to vainglory is seeking your approval and applause in and through the glory in which you were made and the glory in which you were intended to share. Our Old Testament reading highlights this reality. Look again with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Can you see it? At at man's inception, divine glory was imparted and it was received. And this theological idea has long been referred to as the Imago Dei. The idea that man and woman being made in God's image were intended to know his glory and share in it. To be image bearers of whose glory? Of his glory. And this upends vainglory because it tells us two things. One, what we long for is not sourced from man, but from God. It's a vain enterprise to try and fill up the lacking of our souls from the eyes of others. We have to go to him. That's what we seek. It's true glory. And number two, what we long for is not confirmed by man either. It's confirmed by God. And so we don't need to rely on the eyes of others, but we seek his gaze. We seek his attention and approval and applause. Really, truly, vainglory becomes a vice when God's glory is forgotten. And from the first temptation, that's been true, hasn't it? That serpent in the garden convinced Adam and Eve that glory is to be ours by means other than God and that God doesn't want us to share in it. No, 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 because then you will be like him. Being like him was the whole point. And so sin, seizing an opportunity, has convinced us to try and be like God by sourcing our glory from somewhere other than him. And we begin to live for all these lesser glories, these empty things, these human glories, these vain glories. let Let me pause for a second. I told you about me. Let me ask you. Whose glory are you sharing in? The attention, the applause, the approval. As pastors, we see this a lot. I already told you we struggle with it ourselves. I wonder, is your tendency to overwork just a symptom of vainglory, of trying to secure the applause and approval of your superiors or your subordinates? And it's got you locked in. You can't say enough. You can't say stop. I wonder, is your mirror the primary motivation for your exercise? Not health. 
not well-being, but the image that's projected. That's not life-giving. That's life-sucking. And it's taken down many with it. Do you find yourself talking and acting different with different people in different places? With no other explanation than the fact that you just want to accommodate whoever you're with. I, I think there have been many good people who, because of vainglory, have done some really stupid and foolish things. Just because they wanted to fit in with who they were with at the time. I call it the chameleon effect. You just blend to your surroundings. And if I was to ask you, who are you? The true response would be, who do you want me to be? But there's not a real self underneath. And so we're desperate. If you don't feel desperate, I'm just telling you, you're desperate. We desperately need someone who can restore us back to the glory for which and from which we were made. Ad fontes. We need someone who perfectly knows, shares, and delights in God's glory who might also graciously welcome us back into that true glory. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the imago Dei par excellence. He's the true image of God. And scripture tells us this as part of the gospel story. I'm going to read it to you from Colossians and Corinthians, but it's, it's all over the place. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. The God of this world had blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But God, who said, let light shine into darkness. You see Genesis coming back in again. He's shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. And so then the admonition is, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. Do you hear it? You don't have to live for vain glories. There's a glory for which you were made and in which you are supposed to share and through the work of Jesus Christ, you are restored back to it. The old man fed on human attention, approval, and applause, but the new man feasts on glory divine. And so fullness of life and glory is found in being renewed into God's likeness, not man's liking. And we rely upon and follow the path of Christ to the true image of the glory of God. And think about that. His path to glory, what was it like? His path to glory was humiliation. Not exaltation. His path to glory was rejection, not approval. His path to glory came through dying to self and others, not living for them. And we follow his footsteps. So it is with us. We let divine glory swallow up vainglory. We lift our eyes off each other and we lift our eyes towards heaven. There is a connection between our eyes and our glory. In church, you know this if you've worshiped with us any significant amount of time. The last two things we do in our service are the benediction and what? The doxology. Thank you. There's two people who remember what we call that. 
It's no coincidence that at the end of the service every week, we ask you to lift your eyes towards heaven and to receive God's good word of approval over you. Not man. Take your eyes off each other and lift your eyes to him. It might feel strange doing it, like you're staring at the ceiling, but look through the ceiling. There's a glory for which you were made, and there is an approval for which you have in Christ Jesus that cannot fade or fail. But that's not where we stop. We then have our doxology, which literally means glory song. We proclaim his glory as we enter back into the world. The end of vainglory, the cure is found in our worship. Lift your eyes to him. Receive his approval. Glorify his name and go out. Where we fix our eyes is where we seek our glory. And you know what? The one who shares in the glory of God, you're not going to seek the vainglory of men. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, not unto us, not unto us, but unto your name give glory. Because of your great mercy. And I pray for myself, for my friends here today, would you remove from us vanity and would you bring us into the fullness of life that you've given us through Christ. Amen.